Welcome back to Reality 101, everyone. I'm Dr. Molly. Dr. Elizabeth Rule. We are covering again um, Married at First Sight. We're on episode number six, I believe. And somehow we're only in like day two or three of their honeymoon. Um, This week, finally, we have a little bit more tension coming to the surface. And we're starting to see where some of these drama arcs are going to come from in different relationships. There's a little bit more to talk about. Just as a reminder to everyone, um, we are covering TLC's 90 Day Fiance the other way. Those are going to be uploaded the same day as our Married at First Sight episodes. You can check those out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also available on Patreon if you want to support Black and Indigenous feminist scholarship and also just shenanigans and reading and all of that geeky stuff. We are there as well. We have different tiers for everybody um, if you're interested. And we're also available on social media. We are so appreciative of your support, your tuning in, listening along with us, learning alongside us, and just enjoying these shows that take up so much of our own time and mental capacity, but that we don't always have an opportunity to think about and engage with in a critical way. So again, we're so happy that you're here and that's exactly right. You can follow us on social media. We are on TikTok. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at reality101, and that's going to be RLTY101. We hope you'll give us a like, a follow, a comment. Let us know what you think of our coverage. Are there parts of the show you want us to elaborate on? Did we miss anything? You let us know what you think, and we'd be happy to take your feedback onto the air. Yeah, and so I guess I should also mention if I'm talking about Patreon, where you can find us on Patreon, which is backslash reality RLTY 101 podcast. Um, We also just wanted to take an opportunity to reintroduce ourselves because we have new people downloading and listening every time we release an episode. So my name is Molly Collins. I am an assistant professor of African-American studies at American University. Um, Along with Dr. Rule, I teach in the Department of Critical Race, Gender, and Culture Studies. Um, My courses are also cross-listed, which is basically a fancy term of, I'm talking about two things at once, which is African-American studies and women's studies, Um, hence feminist podcast. And so I teach about the cultural histories of Black motherhood or the words and the pictures and the movies that go along with Black mothers throughout history and throughout time. And I'm also a huge reproductive justice advocate, and I'm a working birth doula and postpartum doula and abortion doula. Um, My work does intersect with Dr. Rules, I would say, along the reproductive justice lines as well. So yeah, Dr. Molly, we're so happy to have you here as my (laughs) co-host, and everybody tuning in will benefit so much from hearing your critical perspective on these topics. Uh, She's amazing, and I'm so delighted to be the co-host of Reality 101. Again, my name's Dr. Elizabeth Rule. I'm an enrolled citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, but I also am here in the D.C. area working as an assistant professor of critical race, gender, and culture studies at at American University. Like Dr. Molly, I also teach between women, gender, sexuality studies and American studies, primarily focusing on Native American and Indigenous studies, but also things like Indigenous feminisms, reproductive justice issues, and exploring all these topics primarily from a Native American and Indigenous feminist perspective. 
Um, you know, we're working on this project really because we are co-workers and we found common ground just in the, the types of entertainment that we're engaging with, but also saw a real lack, right? A need for these types of critical engagement with this subject material we have millions of people consuming these shows every week and watching reality TV, but not a lot of conversation about why this is appealing to us, how we can read some of these interpersonal interactions um, from a perspective that considers things like settler colonialism, histories of enslavement, anti-Blackness, critical race theory, or feminist approaches. Um, and that's exactly why we got together and launched Reality 101, a podcast where, uh, you know, we're engaging with exactly these types of issues and um, thinking, you know, with and for our students of reality TV. Yeah. And so the last thing I would want to add um, to Dr. Rule's amazing introduction, by the way, everybody, she's super cute, too, and just really funny. Um, <laughs> the last thing I want to add is that I've heard from a couple of people, well, isn't this kind of taking the fun out of something that you know you might use to check out of your daily life or you might watch at the end of the week so that you can kind of forget all of your stress and you know my counter to that is being aware of what's going on in our world being aware of our histories and our place in it is not necessarily taking the fun out of things right it's actually giving you an opportunity to understand these shows and the people in them um, a lot better and also to see yourself within them and also see yourself how you're different than them, right? And how your experience is different than them. For me, I can say personally what reality TV does for me is kind of bring up some of my own biases as well and help me understand why I'm thinking that way, um, why I think that way about a certain country or a certain person and then confront my own type of, my own privileges that I may or may not have or I perceive myself to have. And then also for me to kind of understand um, other people who might have those biases or I perceive them to have those biases. So again, it's not so much taking fun out of anything. I mean, who why, who wants to spend four years going to college anymore when you can get these things on YouTube, right? Like just come to our podcast. What is a BA anymore? Anyway, hello. I mean, I think podcasts and just media in general is a really great opportunity for you to just learn new terms and be more aware in the world and make it a safer and better place for everybody in work, in your interpersonal relationships. And also now you can have fun, new geeky terms to use with your coworkers when you're talking about 90 Day and Married at First Sight. Uh, yeah. And we're going to be investigating and talking about some of those terms that we use both in our, our classrooms, but also, like Dr. Molly said, just as ways of understanding our own lived experiences. Um, but we're also doing something new with our social media, which is we're going to be unpacking some of these real um, important points of terminology so that that will also be a resource for you. So again, chime in and let us know um, what types of issues you'd like us to talk more about or points that we could elaborate on to further your understanding of how these systems are at play and interworking um, across the sphere of reality TV. And I just want to be really clear too and build on what Dr. Molly said, um, which is that, you know, we are fundamentally doing this podcast because we found ourselves watching this content every week anyways. And we decided, you know, let's actually create sort of a community space to digest and work through these together. Um, 
And that's the niche that we're trying to fill in the podcast world, right? Not just talking about things like outfits, right? But actually taking a critical perspective and being like, we are not going to comment on people's physical appearances, right? There are racialized or gendered undertones to things like that. And let's actually, again, use our many years of scholarly training, right? Coming up and getting PhDs to bring a new perspective to something that, again, we are already watching and we know so many of you are already watching as well. So um, this is not a bashing session on Married at First Sight or 90 Day the Other Way. Um, you know, sometimes these are shows that we love and sometimes these are shows that we love to hate. Uh, but Right. This is definitely a fun and, um, you know, I think uh, communal space to, to hash out some of these issues. So it's not just pulling it apart for the sake of pulling it apart or tearing anybody down or anything. We're just thinking, you know, what's actually going on behind the scenes and what are the systems at play here? Yeah. And so I guess with that, we can start getting into our first couple um Married at First Sight, as I kind of recapped at the beginning, has, you know, we've been we've been calm waters. We've done the, the weddings, the boring weddings that we probably all slept through. And then now we've been in the honeymoon and we are at the delicious point of the season where we're starting to get footage from the group activities. I absolutely love this drama. And so um, we have a lot of um, conflict between Gina and Clint and Eris and Jasmine this episode. So why don't we just start with Gina and Clint? Is that OK? Yeah, let's just go right to the heart of the drama. Um, I have to say it's about time we're getting a little bit of conflict and action. So far, everything has been really smooth sailing, really calm Jamaican waters, right, on their honeymoon. But finally, uh, we're getting a sense of some conflict, and that really comes to the fore with Gina and Clint. Um, specifically, you know, his comments about her physical appearance and her physique, right? Um, insinuating that she is not as trim and thin as women that he's previously dated. And the words he used were athletic and slender. Um, tried to pedal back Clint on those particular words, but you were on camera and you did absolutely say them. So there's no denying that. Uh, but Dr. Molly, I mean, what's your take about what's going on here? Was Clint in the wrong to point this out? Did he publicly humiliate her? Um, was this offensive to the whole group? Or like he said, is he just stating a fact that most of the women he's dated in the past have physically looked different? You know, it's such a shame that their beautiful floating breakfast that they had in that pool had to end such a way. All I could imagine was me and Dr. Rule in this pool drinking our, our spike smoothies. <laughs> And then they have to start talking about this. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, okay, yeah, you're in an experiment experiment where you might not find the other person attractive. We we talked about this in the first episode, right, that we covered this. But you have, if you're going to be into in this experiment, you have to be open to the fact that, or you have to actually, I think you have to principally believe that attraction can grow. And, and I, for me personally, for me, that is not true. For people in this experiment, I think you need to be that person. So it's also to me when we're talking about physical appearance, I think that no, they're, you know, I believe them when they say they're not each other's type. I also am hearing that they are not each other's type 
socially or emotionally, and it's rearing its head as a physical issue. Um, I think that it's coming up in other ways when Clint says she talks about work a lot, right? Um, underneath all of that, I mean, there's a lot of gendered and patriarchal expectations I think that we're hearing. Like if there is a key word for the Clint and Gina storyline, I think it would be a foil, right? We think about our little baked potato and you put foil around it to put it into the oven. The foil is what is like shiny, right? But inside is a crummy baked potato and it is basically creating a veneer for what's really going on. And yeah, they don't like each other. And and a, a term like slender to me is a foil for saying skinny or fat. Um, and those words have whole genealogies to them. Um, him saying something like, um, she's a little bit of a um, workaholic and I'm more of an eight to five guy. That's not him really, I don't think commenting on her work ethic. That's saying, why do I want a woman partner that works all the time? And oh, by the way, works harder than me and therefore gets paid more than me, mm-mm, right? All of these things that we're talking about, I think they Clint lacks the social awareness and probably the vocabulary to be honest with a woman and with himself. And it's coming out in a public forum and it's coming out in an embarrassing way. Yeah, and, and Gina even says that, right? Um, when they're really getting into their argument, she says, you know, it's important to me to have someone who can read the room. And I think that exactly ties into what you just said, which is that, um, you know, Clint seems to be really lacking the skills of self-awareness and um, social consciousness, right? Again, when speaking to not only his new wife, um, but to a whole room of people, right? Commenting on someone's physical appearance can absolutely be, you know, I would say publicly humiliating, um, something that is intended to put her down. But I think the fact that it happens in public is really operative here because he's not just talking to her in a sort of sensitive or benign way. I think the fact that she commented on his physical appearance earlier, right? And said that she wasn't usually um, attracted to redheads. He held on to that until they were in public in front of the other couples and thought that he was sort of dishing back to her the same feedback that she had given him. But of course, um, you know, the punch was way below the belt. I think it came off totally differently. Um, but he's trying to sort of wrap it up in being the same kind of just feedback or commentary about each other's physical appearance when I think there's actually something, um, you know, darker and more sinister going on with, with his intentions. Yeah, and the editing is picking up on that because we see in the other group event with just the guys, right, they're cutting away to some of the other guys' commentary saying things like, well, I, you know, what Clint said, I wouldn't have said it that way. Or, you know, he he really is just a direct speaker. He's someone that likes to be the center of attention. And so to me, I mean, that I'm picking up on is just a classic 40-year-old cis-head male who's gotten along their entire life, not needing to be socially aware, right? Because he dominates the space and he dominates the structure that creates that space. So there's no, right, this is the antithesis of what we're saying, like, oh, unapologetically Black. He's unapologetically basking in his whiteness. And it's always fascinating for me to watch as a Black woman, all of these, some a mixed group, but of some other white people who are like, wow, the audacity of this man. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is how he's probably lived his life. And maybe it's rendered him unmarried. Um, I think he also probably, he has women uh, issues with women just in general. 
Um, but I don't know. I think Clint's going to be a little bit of our villain this season in terms of, oh, he's just a guy that tells it like it is, but there's a lot underneath there. You know, and I just have to say that whole rhetoric, right? He tells it how, how it is, right? He just doesn't have a filter. I mean, to me, I just get flashbacks to Donald Trump era, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the same kind of legitimizing of things that are really inappropriate to say, Um and, you know, I say inappropriate at times, totally racist, at times, totally sexist, at times just sort of mean spirited, right? Um, just inappropriate across the board. But I, that rhetoric, right, of just he tells it how it is. He's a straight shooter. He doesn't have a filter. It just gives me whiplash right back to uh, the Trump presidency. Yeah. And speaking of poorly made analogies, right, like what did you have a chance to watch the after party? Of course, I watched the after. Party. I just love the after party. Yes. Okay, great. We need to start making the drinks that they they drink. By the way, um, we should absolutely start drinking the drinks that they drink. Yes. Yeah. yeah no. That's yeah. Um, okay. So in the after party, right, a timeline is revealed about this whole thing about how, as you just mentioned, right, they they talk about it before um, privately, Clinton, Gina, and then he exposes kind of the conversation in a different language. Um, and so he sees nothing wrong with that. But I want to return to this really key veiled discussion that he and the host Keisha have about the term ginger, because I think it, it starts to get very racialized and they don't realize it's getting racialized and it becomes completely inappropriate, right? So we see in the fully edited episode, um, her use the term ginger and she has used it before. And he's like, do you think that's appropriate? Not saying, hey, I'm offended by that word. Saying, do you think that's appropriate? Right. And she contests that it is. She specializes in redheads, but she just happens to not be attracted to, quote, gingery people. Even um, though she also makes clear that she has dated redheads and grown in her attraction to them. Yes. And so, yeah, I'm like, there's a contradiction there. It's like, so do you, you're done. Personally, that's just something I'll keep to myself, but hey, maybe she tells it like it is. So in this after party, sorry, they're also talking about how Keisha says, well, what is wrong with just stating a preference? Right. And he says, well, when you're saying ginger, Clint says, when you're saying ginger, you're referring to facial features like freckles, pale skin, red hair. And she's like, okay, but what's wrong with just not being attracted to that or not being attracted to a group of people, but I can be attracted to you. And speaking of whiplash, but I'm like, it just sounds a lot like people. Um, Dr. Roll and I were recently witnessed like someone telling an anecdote about, and we have students that say things like this in class, like I'm really attracted to women of color. Or people, or I'm sure we've known men personally who just be like, well, you know, I don't, well, I don't typically like black girls or you're pretty for a black girl or something like that. And I felt like Keisha was taking him down a very dark path that none of, neither of them were emotionally or intellectually equipped to, to talk about. What do you think, Dr. Rule? I think you're exactly right, but that's exactly why we have this space <laughs> where we can talk about these things. So when we're I mean, let's just go back to the, the fundamental question, right? Is it wrong to say that you're just point blank, not attracted to a group of people on the basis of their race, right? Because I, I think you're exactly right. It was a veiled conversation um, about, about race and racial preference in romantic relationships. Um, and it is, right? 
And do you want to do you want to chime in about what exactly those problematic components are? I can say for me, what sticks out immediately is that it's coming from a um, a standard of beauty that's completely derived from Victorian white womanhood, right? So we're talking about body features of being slender, pale, thin, all of these things that are contra they're the contradictory to an indigenous or an African body point blank. Okay. And so when we have these beauty standards and we continue to reify, right. Or make them concrete in contemporary culture over and over and over and over again, what happens is that we start to single people out as saying, Oh, they're attractive or they're attractive because they look white pretty fundamentally. And something like a white facial feature or something on a European body is not subject to the same type of history because beauty was once a standard for survival for Black people and Indigenous people, right? If you were married off or if you're able to, quote, breed, that meant that you got to stay alive in some situations. That's not always been the case for, not always, slash, I would contest possibly ever been the case for white people or people of European descent. And so when we're talking about a quote preference, it's not so much as a preference of, oh, that thing that you can change, but it's your entire history and your ancestry and the body features that indicate that ancestry. Right, right. And and I think the other important thing to really note about this is also the way that we understand what race, right? Um, that we we need to keep in mind that there's nothing intrinsic or fixed about race. And that these are categories that have grown in social meaning over time through a particular historical context, right? And so when we make a a blanket statement, right, that one is not attracted to a particular racial group, there's that work again happening of determining who is and is outside of that group on the basis of your visual perception, right? The way that you see race and reinscribe, right, what it means to be a person of color or a Black person or an Indigenous person. Um, and that is really part of the dangerous and tricky territory um, when we're talking about, again, attraction, right? Because it's it's not just physical attraction that's at stake here, um, particularly within the realm of married at first sight. It's also uh, who can I see myself building a life with? Mm-hmm. Who can I imagine myself being emotionally safe with? Who can I see myself sharing things in common and having a level of compatibility with, right? And, and so all of those things, when they're boiled down to race, right, presume a lot about the person on the basis of their, their racial identity or what you perceive their racial identity to be. Exactly. And I also want to bring into the discussion ableism, right? This concept of privilege based on your ability in life, physical, emotionally, neurologically, et cetera, right? Because I think on top of where all these things are layered, by the way, none of these things are separate. Race, ableism, class, none of these things are separate. But when we think about something like, okay, let's talk about racialization, right? Let's talk about Gina's quote unquote, apparently non-slender body, I feel like what he he's juxtaposing that with his um, oh I I usually am with slender adventurous girls. It's basic. He's basically assuming that someone who is curvaceous does not have the body type that can quote keep up with him, 
or who can sail or who can be physically active. And we know that's categorically not true. And that's a fat phobic term, right? Yes. It is a fat phobic ideal. So, and, and then on top of that, right, again, racialization, ableism, like what we know that white women for about over a decade now from the Kardashians have been getting Brazilian butt lifts. That's another term of the week for us as scholars. Um, and so we have white folks, white women in particular, who are making their bodies over to have certain Black features or to blacken their features. And now all of a sudden, those features on certain bodies are being called, oh, well, like you can't move with that body. That body is not one that can go to other countries with me. That's not a body that would be able to have fun with me. This is all, again, it's about the P where it's about perception. It's about Clint's idea of what I think he wants, which is a very Northeastern petite white woman and gender or, and Gina does not embody those ideals for him. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. Um, and, you know, athleticism, right. Coming in, tying in with the adventure component. Um, I think the same thing, right. Really very fat phobic. Um, and, you know, talking about Gina's response too is really interesting because I understand that she was really deeply hurt, right? Um, and felt, you know, offended by what Clint was insinuating about her, right? But also, you know, we need to realize that her reaction was also somewhat problematic, right? When she says, I need to really clarify here, right? I know the inches of my waist, mm. 26 or 28 inch waist. Uh, I think it was 26, you know, and using, again, that type of, you know, sort of scientific, pseudoscientific metric for determining, um, you know, what is considered considered to be slim or slender or thin. And when we're defining things like thin, we're also defining things like fat right? Those two things go together when one is not the other, when they're developed in contradistinction to each other. When she says, I have a 26 inch waist, therefore I qualify as thin. She might as well just say, I'm not fat, right? And what becomes again, sort of problematic about that is the use of things like numbers and these measurements that have a very long racial history of determining people's you know, worth. And that worth can sometimes be in society, right? Societal value, but sometimes it can also be literal monetary worth when people are sold as commodities on the basis of their physical measurements. Yeah. And so I just want um, to say, I told you so to our students of reality TV and say, I peeped this a couple episodes ago when I said she works in the beauty industry and she brings that up. I work in the beauty industry. My whole life is about making like women. That's what she says, women feeling good about themselves. And she's like, this comment, right, is just totally doesn't represent me. At the same time, as Dr. Rule illuminates, she's emphasizing that she is a 26 inch waist, right? And so I think that, um, there's, it's, I don't think that's, this is something she's going to get over. And she indicates that when she says she wants to spend the rest of the honeymoon apart. Now, I'm not really clear on the duration of time. I think the honeymoons are like four to five days. So this could be only one more night. This could be two more nights, three more nights um, apart, but they have, you know, they're kind of coming to, she, she confronts him about it. Um, 
and even in the confrontation still is foiling his language for him. Um, I think we have to call her out. I don't know if this is how, um, if this is about her confrontation style or if this is about how she's just responding to maybe something she thinks a man is going to get upset about, right? But instead of using like, oh, you said like slender, she was, she said something to the effect of, well, you said I like wasn't as fit, right? Or she like, she changes the language a little bit. And again, that might've been from the conversation that they had earlier, but um, eventually she storms off and he calls her a child and says, this is not the right way to deal with things. And he says, she wants to play the blame game and is looking for an out, which is one of my favorite phrases in Married at First Sight. We should make a bingo card for when somebody says this because when you say the blame or looking for an out really what you're saying is you know we both haven't been feeling it and now we kind of have a confrontation that is able to represent that okay so critical question do we think it's an out or do we think that gina is really responding specifically to this and along with that do we think that they're going to make it to d-day I don't think they're making it to D-Day. I think that she is hyper aware that the nation is going to be watching this show and she will be defined by the moment of whether or not she let a man call her fat on national television. And she is not going to give him an an, an inch more of her experience. Yeah, um, I think that they're pretty much over. I mean, she said that she needed space for the duration of the honeymoon. Um, I thought it was interesting that she didn't just call it fully quits then. Um, Presumably, they're going to still go back and get an apartment together. But again, I'm just haunted by this image of Clint kissing Dominique. So we don't know where that's coming from or how that's happening. Maybe Dr. Molly knows because she watches all the spoilers. But, I mean, this is exactly the kind of fraction that, you know, maybe they stay separated for the duration. He ends up developing an interest in Dominique. I don't know. We're going to have to see. But for me, I think um, I th- I think probably a no at this point. This was a, a pretty nasty situation, a nasty fight. And... One of the really important things about the longevity of a relationship is not if you fight, but how you fight. And again, I think Clint's inability to take responsibility for what he said that upset her, but that also upset all the other women um, that everyone is sort of recognizing is wrong. And I think, again, for me, I think he held on to the fact that she said she wasn't attracted to him as a redhead. And then use that later to really punch below the belt. And I think that is not a quality that bodes well for a long-term relationship. I completely agree. I don't even think we're going to see very much of them anymore after this. Um, Should we move on to our vanilla couple? I think we have like two scenes of Chris and Nicole. Chris and Nicole. Oh my God. Chris says that Nicole holds his hand a little too much and it's hot (laughs) and he's sweaty. And uh, (laughs) that was his complaint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think that basically we just get one conversation about them and kind of like their sex history, right? They don't want to rush into sex. I don't know about you, but I think it's very clear. She wants to have sex. He's not ready um you know they both kind of juxtapose their sexual history saying that they've both been in situations where you've used they've had sex a lot and it's been used as an emotional band-aid and then they've also had situations where they're not like I mean I'm sorry but 
he said that he had a relationship where he was together for a year and a half and they had sex three times. Um, no bueno, no bueno para mí. I, could, I couldn't do it. Um, but clearly, again, there's something emotional going on there. And she said she also had a relationship, a long-term relationship where they weren't having sex when she found out that he, her partner was having sex with other people. So, you know, I think what it boils down to for me is that, okay, just more of both of their traumatic past. And I, I really think that they're not going to have any drama. And that's why we keep talking about their past drama. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right too. And um, I agree with your read that I think Nicole wants to be physical with Chris. I mean, she said it up front, you know, that she was looking for night two of the honeymoon. I think it was, um, or maybe it was the first night of the honeymoon. It was early, right? She was ready. She indicated that that was her interest, but um, he's not ready. And he's also vocal about that. And so I think that there's something going on here where she doesn't want to be cast as the woman that's interested in sex when the man is not, right? And I think that she is therefore limiting herself, trying to cool herself down um, and not push that subject because it is still so taboo, right? In many parts of society today to be a woman that's interested in having a sexual relationship or having sexual desire or needs um, and to have that not reciprocated by a man, right? Um, can really even be um, portrayed as deviant, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think deviant, but also she just, you know, in colloquial terms, she just doesn't want to be needy. You know, I think that she's really afraid of looking that way. And really at the core of neediness is just being vulnerable to other people. And I don't think she wants to, even though she's very vulnerable, she's very open about her past traumas. She doesn't want to open 110% because she just doesn't want to look easy on television. And she doesn't want to look, uh, she doesn't want to get hurt. She doesn't get hurt on television. Um, but we also have a scene where they are um, kayaking and they talk about their pet peeves and I think they have normal pet peeves about leaving dishes in the sink. Um, I could not live with Chris. My dishes live in the sink. Um, that's where they're supposed to go, right? Um, and then, you know, he's worried about her. This was actually stuck out to me. He's worried about her thinking that he's lazy, right? Because sometimes he's tired after working and he's like, I don't clean my house. And um I think that was also a trope. Something I hear with Chris a lot is about masculinity and how in his other relationships he hasn't, because he's been sensitive or open, um, he hasn't been read as masculine. And he illuminates another partner thought that, you know, him being lazy, like he doesn't want to work or he doesn't want to put effort into his home. And he's like, I'm tired, right? So she, um, in that moment, Nicole says, I think has a great answer, which is like, but you work really hard the entire week, so you get to rest. And I agree with her. That's the point of a partner. It's like, I rest when you don't and vice versa. And sometimes we rest together and sometimes no one's resting and sometimes the house is dirty. So I, I think that they, you know, just as it's indicative indicative of, or arguing is indicative of um, the turmoil between Gina and Clint, I think how Chris and Nicole talk about their vulnerabilities is indicative of a long-term relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's interesting that even though they're sort of the boring, non-dramatic vanilla couple, um, that I think interesting things are are playing out with respect to their gender desires. Right. And, and what I mean by that is their desire to be appropriately and desirably feminine. Right. As sort of a 
less sexual subject in Nicole trying to tame down this idea of being sort of a domineering or loud or boisterous woman. And then Chris, you know, um, Right. Suggesting that he hasn't been sexually desirable, that he has been cast as somebody that didn't step into the role of the male patriarch within the household because he likes to rest. Um, I think actually, you know, they might have some interesting gender dynamic uh, things come up as the season goes on. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Um, Should we move on to. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Are they going to make it? Um, yeah, I'm still think they're going to make it. Yeah. yeah. They okay. want it so much. Um, again, like, will it be healthy? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think there's no way that they're going to opt for divorce. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they're both in it to win it. Um, who do you want to move on to next? Um, should we go to Eris and Jasmine? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the physical keeps coming up with Eris and Jasmine. Um, unlike Clint, Eris suggests that Jasmine um, is not somebody that he's super attracted to, but he's not vocalizing that to her. And also, in contrast to Clint, Eris's lack of attraction to Jasmine has to do with her not um, being curvaceous enough. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yikes. Uh, he gets real specific with his desires, naming people like Serena Williams um, and Megan The Stallion as having perfect uh, butts. And I personally, again, I, as soon as I heard Megan The Stallion, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was seen as like a natural butt. But um, he definitely has some specific desires that I think, you know, just because he's embodied as a black man doesn't mean they're not hyper racialized. And um, his idea of what a beautiful black woman is, he even juxtaposes and says, oh, my wife is um, a little bit smaller in that area. Yikes. Um, but um, yeah, he basically, this whole thread is, uh, she says that at one point she thinks that he's like a 12 out of a 10. And he says that she's more of a four. Um, that is a scary number for me. <laughs> personally i know i'm i'm a little bit concerned about them um i'm also very concerned about his behavior with going really hot and really cold on her because we have to remember last episode um you know he was talking about what's your favorite sexual position Mm -hmm. right sort of doing the typical heiress history of really honing in on sex and being in his own words hyper focused on sex and now he's really cooling off and she's noticing that shift and is like wait what happened and that's why i'm very suspect of him because he was really indicating an interest in getting physical with her which presumably has something to do with physical attraction and desire. Um, But now has gone totally cold and is calling her a four out of 10 on their attraction scale. And I think that that type of hot and cold can be very manipulative. 
I completely agree. Um, you know, if I can just, I ha- I was thinking during the episode, I was having a spiritual moment. My, I was connecting my inner hoe with Eris's inner hoe. And I was like, you know, I think he tr- he went for, he was hyper focused on sex because he knew right away he wasn't physically attracted. I could see it on his face when she walked down the aisle. And I think that he thought, well, maybe if we start having sex, that will, you know, come out for me. And when she was kind of cold or more modest about talking about sex, I think that was just a really big turnoff for him. Not so much as she was denying him sex, but the fact that she wasn't sexually open, I think that that is also a turn on, which to be fair is, I think that that's fine. If that's a turn on for you to talk about sex, right? They say talking about sex is one of the forms of foreplay, right? And so him not getting that gateway, I think it completely turned him off. Um, I would actually say, or go as far to say that um, whether or not she wants to admit it, I don't think she's super physically attracted to him either. And I'll tell you why. I think when she was massaging him and she had close contact with his body, I did not see attraction on her face. I saw she felt awkward. I felt like she was inconvenienced or there was just not like, oh, I'm touching a guy that I think is hot. Like, I just didn't see that on her face. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the number, (laughs) the number 12 out of comes in from him. Right. And he says, I think that she thinks that I'm a 12 out of 10. Oh, okay. I think that she's a four. And so, you know, also, I don't know if he's misreading her or if he's just really full of himself thinking that she's all about it, but I think you're right. I think she is less into him than he thinks she is. But also, I think that she's, A, trying to play the long game a little bit, right? Like, work on their emotional compatibility, not just jump in the sack. Um, But I also think that she's fundamentally trying to treat him and their relationship gently and with kindness and respect. And for that reason, isn't going to just come out and say, I'm not attracted to you. Let me clarify, you're a 7 out of 10 for me or, or some again, really sort of, I would say, non-productive nonsense, like a numerical rating scale. Yeah, I mean, what? And, you know, I would say this has, the fact that she was a beauty queen has come up a couple times, right? Eris has said, oh, she's objectively attractive because she's won beauty contests. I would like to give her a lot of, uh, a huge amount of credit. I think that she has a great um, relationship with her self-image. Never at one point have I heard her say like, excuse me, I'm a beauty queen. Or what do you mean, right? You're not attracted to me. Or even though I know they haven't had that confrontation, but you know, she's never once said, well, maybe he doesn't want sex with me because I'm not pretty, right? She's never had that. Um, she's never vocalized that. And so I think, yeah, she has a really it's just clear she has a really healthy relationship with her ego. And I think his ego is actually very bruised and he doesn't, he, I don't think he's able to process it. Yep. I totally agree. I think that's the dynamic that's playing out. So where does this leave us? Will they make it? Will they not? I was feeling hope for them, but now I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't think so. They've been a no for me for a while. I mean, I think they could round a corner, The fact that, again, he um, has never been in love and she's feeling pressure about that, I think is is a little bit of just kind of like a plot point, but not a super interesting plot point. I think there are going to be other bigger, more important issues like, um, again, I think the dietary thing, which hasn't come up yet again. But I think when they go back to reality and they're not in Jamaica on vacation, 
Ugh, I I don't I don't know how they're gonna do. If I had to guess, I would say no right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I think when they go home, it's going to be different. I think for all of these couples, I think going home is going to be more dramatic than past seasons, um, just in general. But I agree with you about the love thing. I don't really, I don't know. I haven't even really blinked at that. Um, I know some people just, that's their experience. Um, But he's in therapy. So if it's about his inner child, I'm sure he's working on it. I don't know. Um, Also, I have to say, is this the only season where the couples have gotten this far with nobody having sex. Okay, great point. I was thinking that when we went, there's always the one couple who's like, we went in it the first night or, you know, like he's hot, I'm hot, let's get it going. I think you're totally agree. And so usually we have also the one couple, the pan, they call it like the panda couple on Reddit, right? The one that we're all forcing to mate. And I don't think that we're going to have that. I think none of these people have physical chemistry. I mean, I mean- I don't see any couple even getting close in the next episode. Mm. I mean, uh, I just don't even think it's going there. We're not even getting footage of anybody like making out. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. I I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. I feel like this might be the coffin episode. I, I don't, or the coffin season. I mean, I don't think this show is doing well, you know, in their experiment. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, where do you want to go next? Can we go on to Shaq and Kirsten? Do you think? Yeah. We absolutely can. And I'll just tell everyone I got a text last night from Dr. <laughs> Molly saying that she has such a crush on Shaquille. <laughs> so uh, yeah, tell us, tell us what you're thinking there. You know, I texted them at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> And then I realized all the qualities I like in him are just the qualities that my boyfriend has. And I was like, you know what? I think I've just missed my boyfriend. But I will say I I had a crush on Shaquille at the beginning of the episode. One, because I saw him dancing and I love a carefree man. I love a carefree person. So, um, they, they don't... right. Kirsten does not love a carefree man, which we can circle back to. Yeah. And I'll just, yeah, I mean. I'll take you to my seventh grade, my seventh grade orchestra conductor. I was playing cello. And whenever he saw anyone smile, laugh, anything, he'd say, no joy, no laughing, no smiling. We're here to play. We're here to play music. And that's it. And she's so sad. I know. But she gave me Mr. Mastin vibes. (laughs) She gave me Mr. Like, she's like, why are you laughing so much? Why are you making so many jokes? Why are you like... Yeah, she doesn't really, she's not vibing with his personality. But I, again, like, I'm surprised by her. I think she's more affectionate than I thought she would be. She says things like, hey, hubby. And there's pictures or um, even we get shots of them holding hands. I like them exploring and doing new things together. I think they look physically great together. Like, not just looks, but I think they have physical chemistry. And um, no, I think I was attracted, I was really attracted to the way that he, um, engages in the conversations with the other men too, because I can tell a man who's taken a gender, women's sexuality course before my man Shaquille has y'all, we're trying to get him on the show. Cause I want to school him. I'm like, yeah, what, what's your transcript look like, bro? Cause let us know. Let us yeah, know. We want to know what kind of training do you want to know? Yeah. Because right. He, you, we saw in his face, like th- that was the first person they panned to when Clint was talking. That was like, that's inappropriate to say about a woman in public or, you know, Eris saying something and them just being like, is that something that, you know, you, you feel like you have to say and asking very delicate probing questions. So I was just really attracted to the way that he, he was doing that. Um, 
But I also really like the way that they, you know, at the end of the episode that they got together and were kind of being really transparent with each other about their physical attraction history. Yeah, yeah. I want them to work so bad. I think they could be such a great couple. Um, I do think she's the one that's pumping the brakes. I think he wants to just go in like head first. Um, But she's better than we originally thought she was going to be. We thought she was going to be totally stiff arming him. And she's not. She's slowly but surely you know, letting him in. Um, but I think if they can work it out and figure each other out, that they could be really awesome together. Um, yeah, I thought she gave him like a little bit of a hard time about the joking, which is another interesting thing that comes up with McKinley and Dominique that we can talk about as well. Um, but again, I think that they're not having tons of drama, not a whole lot to report. They're not having problems, but they're also not uh, jumping in bed together. So there's not too much to say about them. And it's coming out that she thinks he's a little too uh, carefree, which I don't know. It just seems like such a minor issue to me as a viewer. Yeah. And you know, again, everybody's different and I'm not a perfect person. I just would definitely confront my partner differently about these types of things. You know, I don't think I'd be like, well, you know, I should, I love that she was like, well, I'll always be transparent with you. And what I said about you in the group was that you joke too much. So I love that. But I would, you know, if I'm at dinner and they're joking, if my partner's joking too much, I'll just say something to them. You know, I don't know. There's just a way to always say something to make everybody comfortable, I think. And there's a way to say things in a loving, kind-hearted, and respectful way too, which um, I think is the key, right? Like you can you can say many, many, many things that could go either way depending on the delivery. Um, and so I hope that they can find that that balance. Um, anything else to say about them? Not really. Me either. I really want Shaq on our show. That's all I'm going to say. Um... Yeah, come on our show, please. I'm gonna email. I'm gonna email and try. I'm like, your people get with Dr. Rule's people. We'll work it out. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think anything's really changed. I feel like things are gonna get more tense with, like you said. But I think it's a shame because I actually think they're really well yoked, and I think they're a good couple. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes out of optimism, and because uh, I think everybody else is a no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to give them a yes. I want, I want it. I want it to happen. But okay. Should we go over to McKinley and Dom? Mac and Dom. Mac and Dom. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of, they get a lot of camera time, but also just like, this is so boring. Basically at the crux of it is they're doing adventurous things. He's less adventurous. She's very adventurous. This is, I think this is going to be their thread. Right. Um, and apparently he's a complainer. He's got a lot of, on any of my students who study astrology, he has a lot of Virgo energy, man. He's just got something to say about everything. And um, yeah, he's just not into it, but he apologizes later. They talk about it. I don't think I'm getting, maybe I'm not watching well enough or closely enough, but I'm actually picking up on him being jokey a lot. Okay. Yeah. She was like uh, saying that he's joking all the time and that she can't, she can't tell if he's being serious or sarcastic or joking. Um, I also really didn't see any of that. I liked his apology. Um, 
I mean, I don't know if he did anything that really warranted an apology, but I liked that he came to her and just said, I know that I'm irritating you and I apologize because I don't intend to irritate you. Like, I thought that was a nice gesture toward creating harmony in a couple's relationship. Um, you know, sometimes it's not that anybody did anything wrong per se, right? But the the intention is not aligning with the output. And, and he apologized and I thought that was nice. Um, and she accepted it. She said, I fully accept your apology. I appreciate it. We're going to keep working on it. But again, I think in the in the grand scheme of things, like relatively low drama, um, apparently some of the horse poop in the ocean got on him. <laughs> I wish we had seen that. That would have been probably the most interesting part of this episode, but we only heard about it. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with him. You know, it's like at some point, sure, maybe you guys are walking in a circle in the ocean on horses, but like... When have you ever done that? You know, isn't it, I agree with her. Isn't it an opportunity to do something different? And at the same point, again, it's just an opportunity to vocalize your likes and dislikes. I think it's like she said in the after party, it is totally okay to say after the fact, that's not something I would have done. And to be honest, I don't know if I want to do that again. Do you think it'd be okay if tomorrow we can just have a beach day now that right. we did something you want to do? Like, I just think that that's a one and done conversation, but you know, we're on TV and drama and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's I think it's all of his commentary leading up to the things that's getting on her nerves. And she's like, we're going to do it anyways. I don't need you to tell me like how much you're not looking forward to doing it. Like, let's just do it. And and that is complaining. That could be annoying. But yeah, I, I think the spark between them, we saw them canoodling in the pool an episode or two ago. I didn't see very much canoodling. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't banged it out yet. But they also surprise or they strike me as the couple who would be sleeping together, but they don't admit it to the group. I think if anybody was, it was it would be them. Agreed. Yeah, I think that there's has been canoodling. That's going to be our next infographic for the podcast, by the way, to define. <laughs> You're curious how to use that academically. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man. Um. um we got also a little bit of insight. Oh, we didn't say, are we, are they going to make it? No, no, they're not. I don't think so. Um, I cannot wait until we can start talking about our, like, I'm surprised her age hasn't come up more. I think that her age is going to come up more. I think he's going to start isolating her um, reactions to things as immaturity. And that's going to tri- be triggering for her. Um, I have so many things to say about that dynamic. I too was married when I was 25. So I'm excited to talk about that. But no, I don't think they're gonna work out. Yeah, the old soul part has kind of dropped out this episode. Um, and Dominique calls herself the old soul. But yeah, like not coming up. It'll be interesting once they get into their apartment to see if, yeah, exactly what you said. Um, he ever casts her as immature. And that's you know, really not well received. Yeah. I, I also think they're going to be a no. Um, I'm just seeing like the flame flicker and go out. (laughs) Even though I just said, I think they might secretly be having a sexual affair. Um, I don't know. I'm just not seeing like love in their eyes or interest or spark. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that they would match on Tinder, but they would have one date and just realize, oh, we like totally different things. We can still be friends. Like you want to go to movies, but like we're not going on vacation together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and then what did we see for the coming episode? Um, moving in. We're getting, um, next week we're going to get the moving in. Um, we saw more of her, they're previewing um, Dominique's distaste for, I think, you know, him living with um, friends um, and um, looks like just drama of your your long awaited moment of Eris meeting her dogs, I think is going to be here. So hopefully we'll get a little tea, a little drama, um, but I'm excited. I'm so excited. I thought there was going to be more honeymoon drama. It hasn't happened yet. So I hope it hits when they move in and they go back to reality. There's going to be so many dogs. I think I heard, I don't know. I think my brain glitched when they said this, but I think I heard correctly that Chris and Nicole both have three dogs. Yeah. They're going to Brady brunch it, Brady brunch it. And I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, yeah, so there's, I, yeah, there are going to be so many dogs and the dogs are going to cause so many problems. I'm just foreseeing it. I wonder what that house is going to smell like. Hmm. That's too many. Six dogs is too many. It's too many. I mean, I'm not a dog person. I just lost all of our viewership, but. (laughs) I'm not either, but objectively six is too many. A lot of food. It's a lot of money. Um, Okay. So just as a PSA, next week, um, Reality 101, we will not be releasing a new episode. Um, the week after that, we will be doing a double whammy with both of our episodes. I'll be on a research trip. So um, please check for us next, the week after next. And we'll also have a new 90 day episode then too. Yes, we'll have lots to chime in on. Um, so please keep updated on our social media we'll be sure to post when we reconvene for our next episode and until then we'll wish dr molly safe travels thank you um yeah keep up with us on um patreon again that's um patreon.com backslash reality 101 podcast we will be releasing content on social media and where can they find us on social media again dr rule That's right. It's going to be at RLTY101, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us there. And again, we'll be releasing more of those posts about terminology, maybe one on canoodling, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, but definitely about things like cisgender and settler colonialism. And again, uh, we'll be, we'll make sure to let you know there when you can expect to hear from us again. Have a great week. All right, class dismissed.